This is why I love audio. This is why I love tape. This is why I love making things. There has been some fa fractures in podcasting as far as what is our community? What are we doing? Um, what does it mean to be a podcaster? Am I supported either in a, in a work context, in a, in a social context? And a lot of those things are, are a little unanswered even still today. Hey everyone, my name is Angela Hollowell and I'm the host of the Honey and Hustle podcast. Today, this is kind of a special and rare bonus episode. This is an interview with Dane Cardiel, who is the founder of Good Tape and is also on the team at Gumball, which handles a lot of creative partnerships with brands. I think it's a very beautiful episode. It's definitely not a traditional episode that we would have here on Honey and Hustle. But truthfully, I recorded this while I was working on the Creative Architects podcast and it didn't fit season one. So I'm super excited to share it with you here. I think there are a lot of valuable insights for creators um, and that's still relevant, I think, to the Honey and Hustle community. And also, I think his framing on why he started a newspaper is so, so important for creators and entrepreneurs of all kinds who are thinking about how they can be innovative with their marketing efforts. So sit back, relax. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. This podcast is free and will always be free and available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Heytai, you name it. While it's free for you to consume, it's not free for us to create. We pay our video editors, writers, production assistant, and operations manager for helping us make this show come to life. If you'd like to support us in making this show, please consider subscribing to our Substack community, using our affiliate links, or just simply sharing the show with someone who might enjoy it. All right, let's get into this conversation. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We are at Resonate Podcast Festival in Richmond, Virginia, and I am joined by Dan Cordiel, who is aware of many hats. He is one of the co-founders of Good Tape. He is a part of the Gumball team that's doing incredible things with podcasts and YouTube advertising, and I cannot wait to dig into his story and you know what all he has going on. So Dane, thank you so much for joining me. Amazing, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Out of frame right now is this incredible uh, newest release from Good Tape, your first edition of your magazine. is actually formatted a little bit more like a newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, so talk to me about like what was the motivation for doing a physical piece of media? Yeah, so uh, over a decade ago, I actually had a print magazine. It was an art and um, literary magazine. Um, did about seven issues of that, so have had a history of doing a print project. Um, and after that sunsetted, I have always wanted to go back to print in some format, but um, didn't quite have the idea. So that was kind of like a back burner conceptually. But uh, last year at On Air Fest, I was having a conversation with Julie Shapiro um, about our zine and, and printmaking backgrounds. And you know, when you're ever at a conference like this, there's all this like dreaming energy of like what's possible, what what can we do? Um, and I, I was like, oh, I should do a, another magazine. Um, the next week, the name Good Tape came to me, and it was almost like oh, I kind of have to, I have to do it. It's it's a really good name, and um, so that was the impetus of it. Um, so as someone who is mostly a video podcaster quite frankly only a video podcaster mm -hmm. myself like I didn't come across the word tape really until I saw good tape like I've never heard somebody mm -hmm. call their audio track like 
oh, this is a tape. I need to tape sync this. I need to do this with this. Like, that's just not vocabulary that I had. Um, and so talk to me a little bit about, like, this is obviously geared towards podcasters. So, and it's almost like this journalistic piece as well, because mm-hmm. there's some um, unique pieces there that are reporting on the podcast industry. Um, how did you kind of start to source, you know, these relationships with people who were putting um, content in this magazine? Yeah, so our editor-in-chief, um, Alana Levinson, I've known her for eight years now. Um, she has an incredible uh, background in media. She is um, an incredible media savant, really, um, with uh, really important relationships with journalists and writers. She uh, previously was at Mel Magazine um, for a few years. Um, so when it comes to sourcing editorial content, the relationship that the editor or an editor has is so important. Um, we really wanted to ensure that we were bringing um, nationally known writers into the fold um, versus maybe sourcing a, a layperson's work um, because we wanted there to be like an elevated approach to journalism. The magazine is fully fact-checked, so mm. it's very important that our facts are right and and the, the conceit of every uh, of every uh, piece um, is thoroughly considered. Um, so a lot of kind of like jump st- started uh, the conversation with art- artists and, or sorry, writers. Um, so she did a call for writers and we got a lot of really great submissions, mainly from her network, actually. Mm. Nice, nice. Um, when, you know, I was making the, you know, concept or premise for this show, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was creative tech. And this is kind of the opposite of tech, but still in line of innovating within mm-hmm. the field of podcasting. And I'm excited to, you know, have physical media back on our, like, brains a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, you know, there's something really important about having something tangible. Right. Um, that, you know, maybe I can read, yes, now, but maybe frame later and have, mm-hmm. like, this, like, yeah, I was like in the ground floor, then creating this beautiful thing that maybe morphs into something even more as it goes down the line. Um, and, you know, do you consider physical media in podcasting to be kind of where the industry is going? Probably not. Um, you know, there is a resurgence of print media right now. Uh, Stephanie Karayuki of Earth Tone Media actually just launched a zine um, called Diaspora. Um, and then, you know, outside of podcasting, there are, there are a lot of fashion and, and, and indie scenes, magazines that um, have more physical uh, footprint. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, for me, I think there are so many newsletters in our industry. You know, I have 50, <laughs> 50 newsletters to read each week. Um, and print is a, was a differentiator for us to, to really... Um, do something a little different. And then in the process, I think we learned that, you know, our lives are so mediated by digital media and social media that people kind of crave a lean back, yeah. separate from the internet experience. Um, and, you know, so many uh, radio people, I think, also have a, a newspaper background. I've learned, you know, college news, newspaper, um, like journalism is definitely intertwined with audio as well. So, um I think there is like a really interesting overlap between between print and audio um, historically, but as far as the industry is concerned, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, mm. 
Okay. Maybe, but just being different, I think, is is strategy enough for, for me right now. Yes, and I like how your answer kind of changed, because at first you said no, then yeah. the more you thought about it, you're like, maybe, it could. Well, I mean, it, it, it could, it's <laughs> a, you know, um, if anyone wants to do a print magazine, you know, call me, you know, our team probably could put something together for you, but. Yeah. I mean, like, when I also think about physical media in general, I also think about, like, has there been a podcast been put on a vinyl? And mm -hmm. vinyl is like making this huge resurgence, right. right? Or like, I don't know if CDs are coming back, but I've had people tell me like, yeah, I still have a cassette player and I still buy cassettes from like yeah. bands and stuff. So it's like, is that retro media coming back? Are people exploring that more? Um, is that something we're gonna continue to see in like the listenership? How is that gonna mm -hmm. evolve? And how are people gonna continue to get or crave or desire to seek news? Um, and I really love that you brought up newsletters because that is like, the thing right mm -hmm. now like all the newsletter like hosting companies are duking it out which mm -hmm. i love to see even mm -hmm. though i don't even write newsletters um i barely read them if we're being honest i get so many as well and you know as we're looking at like how can we create something that's unique to us that's mm -hmm. important to us but also that's um really you know that resonates in honor of the festival like resonates with our audience like what has the reception been so far to the first issue. Yeah, I think, um, you know, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I think if all of the issues that we brought to resonate were to leave the shelves, we were at a thousand issues distributed so far. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so many images coming, you know, Berlin and Paris and mm. Australia, like even the international community has, has stepped up and, and, and got an issue. Uh, talking to someone who was in their hotel room last night with a friend and they were talking about them doing dramatic readings of one of the articles uh, and uh, I think you know you know the impetus of the magazine too was at a time last year where community wise I feel like there has been some fa fractures in podcasting as far as what is our community what are we doing um, what does it mean to be a podcaster um, am I supported either in a, in a work context, in a, in a social context? Um, and a lot of those things are, are a little unanswered even still today. Um, and Good Tape kind of was one of those things like this is hopefully like a gift to the community. Like this is something that we can rally around. This is something that we can, can point at and say this is, uh, this is why I love audio. This is why I love tape. This is why I love making things. Um, so there's a level of service service journalism in the mix as well uh, of what we're doing and and something hopefully like the community can can see themselves in and say this is cool and I'm a part of uh, I'm a part of this. Yeah. Um I saw one of your tweets not you specifically but good tapes tweets that was like this is a love letter to mm -hmm. all of you and I thought that was like really sappy number one. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> But also, like, really sweet. Like, yeah. we love you guys so much. We want to make this beautiful for you. And we want it to be something that, you know, you have the chance to contribute in. You mm -hmm. have the chance to sponsor. And that, yes, you have the chance to read and, and share. And when it comes to, like, building community around something like um, a magazine, mm -hmm. something like a newsletter, by extension, anything written, like, what are the ways that you see Good Tape in general moving forward kind of, continuing to um, incorporate this element of community. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think when it comes to, like, brand building right now, we're in a moment where it can be a little individualistic. 
Um, I, as an individual, am creating an individual brand. People come to me for my individual brand, and that is the the, the breadth of uh, of what someone is doing. Um, you know, someone like myself, I've been in the industry for a long time. You know, do I want to build an individual brand or something that maybe is a more of a community collective effort? Um, you know, with magazines too, uh, and media companies in general, like you know, think of Thrasher, you know, as like a, an institution on it, onto itself of the skater community. And we kind of uh, see parallels of what Thrasher was, you know, and is um, to Good Tape, where you open Good Tape, you read it, and you get super inspired. And it's like, I'm, I'm going to make a really cool thing now. Um, so I think when it comes to community building, the, the media element or the, the branding element of um, collective is is important to me and you know as far as like what comes from this it's still up in the air in a lot of ways but um, you know collective ownership is a, a really important thing so uh, I'd love to explore what that could look like as we do more issues as we bring more people into the fold um, where there's a little bit more shared ownership not only in what you're contributing but the equity you get back from the brand that good tape will become. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of contract legalese to, to, to figure out with that, but you know, I, I definitely want to explore different models when it comes to, to businesses and um, you know, that's actually a topic of, of what I'm talking about here at Resonate uh, on Saturday. Um, insofar as what are the business models available to creators mm. um, and similarly that like individualistic approach on where's the next deal that I'm going to get the next network the next whatever it might be as an individual or, or or talent in the industry but what are collective models that could be interesting to explore um, where uh, you know creators can come together and build something new like maximum fun if you're familiar mm. with 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 their efforts last year converting their business into a worker-owned company mm. um defector media as another example so yes. yeah 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 and i think defector media i don't know i don't want to say too much because they may be on the show at some point which would be awesome but like seeing businesses and brands in general being more intentional about investing in podcasters is um, beautiful to see in a space in a year where we've kind of had it rough mm -hmm. in the industry as a whole. Um, there have definitely been some big hits that have happened, but I guess I'm always just like, oh, we're such a resilient group of creators, like we're gonna bounce back. Um, and for that, I really wanted to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about Gumball, yeah. um, which not only focuses on podcasters, but also YouTubers and how they can make that uh, facilitation of brand partnerships happen mm -hmm. a little easier. Um, talk to me about some of the work that you do with creators um, in that space. Yeah, so Gumball is a host-read ad marketplace um, where you know there's a logged-in experience for advertisers and media buyers and um, creators as well. So um, for qualified shows on you know either podcast or, or YouTube, um, they list their inventory and make it available into Gumball. And then advertisers can buy directly from them. Um, and when they when they check out or purchase an ad or multiple ads within a campaign, uh, all the instructions get sent to the creator. Here's what you read, upload an air check, and then get paid. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, 
you know, as far as like the work that we're we're doing is you know, the the network model, I think, is something that um, is waning a little bit in the industry. You have mm-hmm. a lot of creators, I think, who you know, in the absence of large minimum revenue guarantees or or really substantial offerings from podcast networks, kind of ask themselves, I could probably just fund the production myself. I'm already doing the marketing myself. Um, what else does a, a network provide me that I can't maybe do myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and functionally, ad sales is one of the main pieces that you work with anyone in this space because um, it's a lot to manage that as uh, as an individual creator. So Gumball is that, you know, separate of production, separate of marketing. Um, if I'm doing a lot of that on my own already, I can come to a platform like us or like Gumball and... Um, you know, have a better rev share, get more money uh, in that exchange, uh, and have a closer relationship to my business. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting statement that you made that the network model is kind of not um, continuing to be as popular. Um, I feel like there are still networks that I'm discovering, you know what I mean? Um, Headgum is still a network that seems to be thriving um, in their particular brand of, of content. Or podcasts, I shouldn't call it content. I'm not trying to offend anyone, um, but um, but I think there's there's one of the reasons why networks are so popular. Yes, because of the business benefits, but also because of the community benefits. You now have this community of similar or like shows and presumably like-minded podcasters. You can bounce ideas off of who you can learn from, who you have you know can have direct feed drops with. For example, right. if you know, for example, like a podcast network was made by a production company. So they're producing all the shows, they have access to all the feeds, they can do Mm -hmm. feed drops. So that amplifies your marketing by getting in front of their audiences. Um, And then as your marketing or like your um, downloads grow, you know, presumably the ads, you know, that you can sell grow. and I, we don't have to get into like why downloads are not the best metric <laughs> right now. But um, one thing that I did, you know, has been on my mind and that we've kind of heard in similar veins across presentations today is that downloads aren't the only metric or even the best metric mm-hmm. to decide. Um, Jukela of LWC Studios mentioned that, you know, she listens to or looks at uh, the listen through rate. Yeah which depending on your podcast host can be hard to determine. But I think like what she was trying to get at too is like, what is the depth of your affinity, like your audience's affinity to your Mm -hmm. show? And like, do you feel like that is something that advertisers are starting to look at more closely? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I I do think downloads are still uh, directionally helpful Mm -hmm. um, because it gives us an indication on the scale of a show. Um, and that as a baseline, you know, most advertisers are buying on a CPM model. So mm-hmm. we are looking at impressions that could be served mm-hmm. um, into an episode or across a catalog in a show. Um, but, uh, you know, advertisers are looking at, well, I, you know, one of the things the industry, I think, has, has had some turmoil is that a lot of our business deals um, with, with talent you know, 2019 to 2022 was just based on downloads. Mm. How, what's your scale? All right, here's a bunch of money based on that. Um, but then, you know, uh, aside from the soft ad market, when you get a show in, you know, does it convert for advertisers? So if, if, uh, if an ad campaign runs, 
uh, does it actually reach the audience and does that audience convert? Um, what's the percentage of U.S.-based audience? Because most advertisers in podcasting are U.S.-based companies looking to target U.S.-based listeners. Mm -hmm. um, what category is a show in? Um, what's the, the CPM rates that a creator is comfortable with going, you know, you, know, you have to have some flexibility with your rates. So there are a lot of factors that go into the, like, viability of a show beyond downloads. Um, but I would say from that presentation's perspective, that's probably more so looking at uh, audience retention and audience growth. Yeah. So like a listen through rate metric is, is very helpful to tell us, you know, are we um, growing the audience or not? And, you know, one thing in Good Tape, we had an article on the ideal podcast length and there was a really good uh, uh, mention in there that 70, this person is an audience development person at Connie Nass and they, they want to listen through rate around 70%. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have a lot of people that say, oh, we should have 85, 90%. But the reason why they want 70% is because that tells us people are testing the show mm -hmm. and they might not stay, but we want people to test the show. We want um, more people coming through. If it's a high listen through rate, you might have uh, a stale audience. You know, people are there and they're coming back to you, but you might not be growing as uh, as aggressively as you you want to be. So, um, I thought that was I I hadn't thought about it that way and yeah, super helpful. Yeah, that is like interesting because I have heard like, oh, you want eighty to eighty five percent, especially on the listener side. Like on the video side, it's a little bit different yeah. because you know you're also battling the fact that. You know, interviews like this are largely going to be static. You know, mm -hmm. there's not going to be a lot of B-roll. Um, so, and people may just kind of like, maybe if they have YouTube Premium, just turn the screen off and walk right. away. You know what I mean? So it's still kind of like a, like how do you keep people on video, you know, for that same amount of time and how does that translate? So going into kind of the YouTuber side of things, and I think this is particularly going to be relevant as like more, you know, podcast and podcasters do identify as video podcasters. Like, how do stats translate? Like, how do you articulate a combined audience and maybe uh, double your chances of getting maybe a larger, you know, like more expansive or inclusive marketing campaign with um, an advertising brand? Yeah, so, I mean, it's similar to the audio side where we just look at the, the view count on average per video that a show earns um, on YouTube. And... Um, with YouTube, it's a little bit more, there's more room for virality. So podcasting tends to be a very stable um, week to week, um, whereas YouTube, you can have a, you know, one one video get 100,000 views and then all your other ones get 10,000. Mm -hmm. So um, something that we try to control for when we're onboarding a show that has both an audio and a video component is we'll look at their last 10 videos on YouTube and remove the top three performing videos and then average um, the seven, and then that gets us, you know, a, a little bit of a conservative number that we can sell to advertisers to say, you know, we're going to get fifty thousand on on audio, fifty thousand on video. Um, that equation is how we kind of land on a um, a conservative metric for, and then we package that together mm -hmm. and sell both to to an advertiser and. Um, and yeah, actually, a lot of advertisers are, are very curious about video. Mm. Um, and, you know, something with Gumball is we're actually just selling into YouTube-only channels as well. Okay. So zero podcast component. We, we started that about nine months ago. And I've learned a ton since. But 
Um, a lot of the audio buyers, I think, are, are uh, coming to the video-only um, value prop a little later, um, but they, they do like the, the simulcast option to, to test. Um, and there's a little bit more uh, clickable real estate on YouTube, so that those conversions might be a little bit better if you pin it in as a comment or add it to your the top of the fold in the description. Uh -huh. um, QR codes. Um, yeah. Uh, but one thing that we, you know, video is this whole conversation right now. Um, one thing that we don't allow on Gumball is um, non, uh, like static image. Yeah. Yeah, we need to have a host on camera. Yeah. Uh, everything is so personality driven these days that that, mm. that tends to be the strength of the collaboration between a brand and a, and a show. Is, and that's something that I think HeadGum has done incredibly well. We have so many great talent mm -hmm. um, that is very personality forward. Um, so the association that a brand gets from, from the campaigns on those shows tends to do quite well because, um, because the audience is like really attached to, to the talent. Yeah, I don't know. That's something I think about often. It's like people, and I think this like realization in mass by people that like your personality can dictate you know, how far your show goes um, has led to this rise in, like, sensationalism mm -hmm. and, like, much of which is not sustainable because it's not true to who the person's personality is, right? And sometimes, like, that uh, desire to be this memorable personality trumps the desire to create a great show mm -hmm. or a great video. And, like, over time, that's going to show itself, right? Okay. So you could be doing well now and, like, videos could be doing well, but if you're still in six months averaging 10,000 mm -hmm. views on your seven least popular, of your most popular views, you know what I mean? Right. Like, then it's like, okay, well, where's the growth and what are these brand partnerships doing for you and your audience if you're not really able to sustain it or mm -hmm. grow it, you know, over time? Because that's what you would expect. You would expect that, you know, if you have enough clout or enough data to support, um, you know, you getting these big advertisers, and that also to support you, like making putting that back into mm -hmm. your craft and like creating a better show. Right. Yeah. Um, so one more question before I let you get out of here because it's like the end of the day, and like I'm sure he wants to party and like chill or do whatever people do in Richmond. But um, like when you think about um, a lot of uh, the conversations around monetization, and even your own experience creating um, a physical magazine versus a digital newsletter. Like, what would you advise some people to think about as they're growing their creator businesses in terms of monetization? Yeah, so I think one thing that we tell a lot of creators that we're onboarding or, or, or working with is, you know, brands are going to, you know, they have a testing strategy um, when they're placing um, media buys. So if they're introduced to a new show and they want to see if that show converts well for them, they're going to test um test into it. So two spots, three spots, see how it converts. If it converts well, then they'll buy three months, six months, 12 months, um, and lock those um, campaigns in. So much buying happens, you know, in uh, Q4 for all of 2020, uh, the, for all of the next year, which is called upfronts. Um, and one thing I think creators need to do is think about what is their testing strategy. So how are they good partners to advertisers that are testing into their show for the first time? We do a buy three, get one free 
program at Gumballs. So if an advertiser buys three, they get a fourth ad for free. Um, that extends the test. Um, and then it also brings the effective CPM down. So if you have a $24 CPM, it comes down to you know, $19, $20 for an advertiser. They're always looking for a deal. Um, and uh, But when I say testing strategy, like just doing the ad read isn't enough. So what are you doing? How are you leveraging your newsletter, social media? Um, and I think there needs to be very concentrated thought around um, ensuring an effective test because then you get a renewal stat. Mm -hmm. If you get five, six, seven ads with an advertiser, that comes up as a renewal stat in a lot of these dashboards that advertisers use. And they want to see a high renewal rate on, on a show, which will tell them, oh, other brands have stuck around for this show. So if you have a high CPM uh, at, out the gate for a test and they only do two spots, then your re renewal rate tanks. Mm -hmm. um, and these are like quick decisions that buyers are making and they have the stats to, to give them direction on where to, where to place a buy. So I would say whatever a creator can do to have an effective test with the brand for the first time to ensure that they get that renewal stat, I think is um, a really critical piece of uh, monetization. Okay. No, I appreciate that perspective. And I appreciate you sharing with me today. Check out The Good Tape, issue one, if you haven't already. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. That's all for today's episode. And if you can't wait for the next episode, you can subscribe to our paid membership on Substack to get exclusive content like outtakes, bloopers, after-show thoughts, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on your app of choice or like this video on YouTube. We'll catch you in the next episode.